Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Yo, yo, yo. What's up, fellas? Hey. Amen. Yeah, what's Amen. up? Amen. Good. Hey, man. How y'all feel about that Laker game? I didn't see it, man. God damn it. Amen. I knew you didn't see it. <laughs> Whatever, man. That was, that was I'm, I'm just here to have fun. Oh man, you sound out your man. Apparently, it seemed like a good game. Man, okay, I'm about to just get into this shit, dude. Okay, before <laughs> this game, I wanted Lonzo. I expected 15 and 10 from Lonzo, like on different. Um, like sports groups, I was like 15 and 10. I need 15 from 10 from Lonzo because Curry's going to be his primary defender. And I knew if Curry was going to be his primary defender, Lonzo should be able to get to the basket at will and score and distribute. And that's when he's the most effective, when he's getting in the paint, obviously when he gets other players involved. But Steph Curry shouldn't be able to guard him. So Lonzo went 15 and 10. He had a great game. And then – he deferred to Ingram, and I really liked what I've seen from Ingram tonight. Like, he took over that game, uh, like, you know, as much as he could. I mean, for a 21-year-old player, I'm liking what I'm seeing. Earlier in the year, I apologize, Ingram, again. There's no way I'm trading you. Uh, keep it up. Keep it up. Obviously, it had to do a lot with him playing against his favorite player growing up. Obviously, you're going to get out of bed for that game in that matchup, but – I liked what I saw. I liked what I saw from him. Long cat, you want to say anything? <laughs> um, I so I didn't see the game, but I mean, I saw the stats and like Lonzo did, you know, what he was supposed to do, and and a little bit more tonight. I mean, pretty impressive game from several players. Um, I think even Randall had a pretty decent game stat-wise. I didn't again. I didn't see the game. I mean, situation. I'm, I'm not sure kind of what happened and stuff. But I mean, going to overtime against uh, the Warriors at home, you know, with Durant and Steph and Clay and Draymond, right? Yeah, the whole gang was there, and uh, you know, taking them to overtime like that is pretty remarkable. Um, and actually, yeah. from a fan from a FanDuel perspective. Um, I had Lonzo going in several of my lineups just because of the opportunity for him to make the point that he is, you know, able to hang with a guy like Steph Curry. Um, And, you know, 15 and 10 is not a game like, you know, a 35 and 15, like a superstar, but a 15 and 10 for a Lonzo ball who has been a roller coaster ride and kind of different you know, facets of, you know, being the number two, being a number two pick is a very good game and, you know, a pretty good accomplishment given all the shit that's been going on kind of with his, uh, his life and stuff. So I, you know, I agree with, with Stan. And again, it's not, me not seeing the game. And again, from a FanDuel's perspective, I think that uh, uh, Brooke Lopez should have done a little bit more, but I mean, I could be wrong too, but go ahead. Yeah, Brooke Lopez, I mean, we, the Lakers, you know, they, over the last six years, 
we've been getting we've been getting centers that are past their prime. You know, obviously with started with uh, or four years. It started with Howard, and then it went to uh, hit Roy Hibbert, and then now and then Mozgov, and then now it's Brooke Lopez. I liked what I saw from KCP. Randall had a good game, uh, despite a few bad passes, um, but overall impressive. Um, I I think it's kind of weird. I mean, I didn't really catch the last game, but I did catch like I caught parts of it, and I was kind of thrown off by the lack of minutes that Ingram and and Kuzma played last game. So it was nice to see the lineups. Um, the lineups made a little bit more sense tonight. So I was happy about that. Um, one thing about Ingram, dude, that last shot, I get you've been comfortable getting to the rack. And I know his mid-range has been a little, he's been a little, seems like he's a little nervous about it. And he wanted a better shot by getting to the rack. But, dude, you just got to pull up, man. Don't go in traffic for the game and a shot. I think he had Clay Thompson on him. He's got at least three to four inches on Clay. You just got to pull up, man, and just hit that. Um, but that's it. What about you, Andy? Oh, uh, my sentiments are basically what Stanley said, man. I don't really got much to say about the game. Like, Stanley pretty much said uh, what needed to be said. So, yeah, I'm I'm good about the right, this game. Yeah, man. Let I'm 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 really curious to hear. Let's get into David Fisdale, the analytics talk, the future of the NBA, what's going on with black coaches, what's going on with former players that are now coaches. What do you think, man? I know I know Ammons. You're not a you you don't you're not a big fan of analytics. I'm not sure if you appreciate analytics. A little bit, but let's. I'm, I'm curious to hear your take on that. Uh, basically, I'm, I'm Charles Barkley when it comes to the analytics. Like I, I, I just don't really have appreciation for it. I mean, I'm pretty sure there is some type of purpose, but I mean, I don't mean to go Stephen A here, but I do feel like racially, like analytics, it's not something that was like created by blacks. So I kind of do feel like, in a way, it was kind of used on purpose now, where it's like, well, the, the people who created the analytics, they're going to support the others who, like, are into analytics. And, like, all the people who've gotten fired and stuff is because they're not into analytics. And they just so happen to be coincidentally black. It's like, uh, damn it, I forgot who it was that said this. Uh, maybe it was Jason Whitlock or someone else, but they were saying when he kind of went on that rant last year during the Spurs playoff series, and then he said take that data, now it makes more sense. Like, he was going more so, like, to blame it, it was a shot at, at the, the, it was a shot front, at the office. front office. Yeah. Yeah, I that believe that was uh, kind of like Max Kellerman said that, I think. Um, but yeah, okay. <clears throat> Analytics, man. So I think the reason why most – the reason why analytics is as heavy as it is today, obviously I think it started with baseball. Um, if you guys have seen the movie Hardball, Brad Pitt, they've been able 
You guys see that movie? Yeah. I actually never seen it. Did you see it, Ammon? Yeah. Moneyball. Moneyball. So it's all about maximizing, kind of like FanDuel, uh, Pat, like maximizing what little talent you have without spending a bunch on stars and really maximizing that team together. And I think when you have teams like the Warriors, who are such heavily three-point shooting teams, the NBA is kind of transferring to a three-point, obviously it's transferring to a three-point kind of game. So analytics is important to pay attention to, I think, but it's not the end-all, be-all. But it's kind of weird because analytics is mostly controlled by these mass geniuses, right, that watch the game, but they have never actually – yeah, it's like all about percentages, you know, maximizing your 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 shot, your chances to score the most amount of points with with the oh, least okay. amount of output. Like, okay, so a three-point shot is way more. That's why the Houston Rockets, they want either a three-point shot or they want a layup. They don't want a mid-range because they want to maximize their chances to score while also maximizing the output. So a three-point shot well, is obviously a three-pointer but a mid-range is not as easy as a layup would be. So it's like, okay, either get the layup. That's why the mid-range is done. Right, it's like, what are they going like, to be most worried about when playing the Rockets? Well, finish what yeah. you're going to say, and then, I, then I'll, I definitely want to speak on that too. And, and then, and so now a lot of players, a lot of coaches that were former players, they grew up playing in the 80s. Like, they're like, forget analytics. We just play ball. And and they believe in the human aspect of things, whereas these brainiacs that go to these you know these schools they become GMs, and then now that they're in power they're only going to hire people with like-minded. They're only going to hire like-minded people, and obviously black coaches that have played in the NBA aren't really relating to that new kind of style of basketball. So analytics is definitely drawing kind of a a line in the sand. But I think what's important is to be able to pay attention to analytics, but also, you know, not go all about the numbers. It's it's finding that fine line uh, because obviously the Warriors use analytics, the Rockets use analytics, and they've, They've been successful. I mean, the Rockets, obviously, in the regular season, they haven't won championships. But I think the Warriors are kind of the blueprint of the direction the NBA is going. So it's definitely important to pay attention to analytics. But, I mean, let's, let's not go all in. Let's not, let's not completely gut out the basketball itself. I I'm think analytics – Oh, okay. So I think analytics – from, okay, so from the FanDuel perspective and the Survivor perspective. From the FanDuel perspective, like, there's an app with FanDuel called the FanDuel, like, that's app or something like that. And it basically is, like, like San Antonio versus Charlotte, let's say, and I want to pick Kemba Walker. Well, there's, you know, percentages that say, you know, San Antonio defense against point guards. San Antonio, you know, offense at home. San Antonio versus Kemba Walker, Kemba Walker versus away team, right? Stuff like that, right? And, you know, I kind of look at all that stuff, and 
I think to myself first off, like, wow, that's a lot. It's <laughs> a lot to look at. And for me, like, I mean, I, I've been, I guess, somewhat lucky or, you know, whatever every so often on the trend of stuff. And so, again, I don't use the, I don't use the statistics as in depth as what they're presenting it as. I mean, it's a lot, it's a lot. And I think that it's not, I don't think all of it's necessary at all. I think that it's interesting to think about. And I think it's cool to, it's, I think it's cool to, you know, kind of, you know, make these numbers happen and kind of, you know, figure out the efficiency in a number form um, but I think in terms of, like, how do we judge these, again, kids, right? The average age of, of athletes, of professional athletes are, you know, about our age or younger. You know, if you want to judge these kids on, you know, numbers and performance based on non-tangible but yet, like, definite defined, you know, numbers, I don't think it's, you know, I don't think it's, first off, fair kind of way, shape, or form, you know, you know, when I pick teams for FanDuel and when I win, I take it a lot on, you know, how how tired they are, right? How many games they – how many days they've rested in between games. Um, you know, if there's an injury that's happened or if there's, you know, a situation in, you know, their, their family and stuff like that. So, you know, like in anything else too, like in my real estate stuff, you know, you can do the facts and the figures all day, but the emotional side – you know, plays even a stronger role, equal if not even stronger role in a lot of these things. And, you know, analytics are cool, but I think the real reason for any of it in the first place is to find kind of the right formula and mixture of players, obviously. And I think that's also a reason for uh, this emergence of European players kind of coming in, because if you find efficiency in these European players who are fundamentally sound, you can pay them a lot less in general, but you know, you get a lot more return for your money kind of using these kind of filler players, if you will. So I don't know, but that's my opinion about it. Yeah, exactly. That, that's exactly what it is. Those filler players paying them less. But the thing about analytics is you can't, t- there's intangibles that can't be, kind of calculate exactly. analytics like you can't calculate heart you can't calculate exactly tire like whether or not they're tired but i mean the analytics is mostly i think it's mostly used in, in terms of who they're going to sign not so much as the day-to-day game game to game game plan right. uh, but it's mostly used as you know depending on deciding on which players they want to sign. Like, if you're an analytics guy, you do not want a guy like Dwight Howard or DeAndre Jordan, but you'll want a guy like, uh, like you know, Al Horford, you know, someone that's not a – Yeah, I'm just well, I mean, naming and, and examples, that, you know, like players yeah. that aren't going to be expensive, but you'll get a lot of, a lot of output from them. Well, sure, and, and, and from that perspective, too, I mean, look at, look at like – you know, any guy who has been traded or left a team and gone to a new team, but then, you know, with or without the analytics, he has, because of how happy he is in that new situation, like he, you know, does it better than expected or, you know, worse than expected, right? Because the analytics are basically, right? Go ahead. No, you go. Finish your sentence. Finish your point. I was just going to say, because the analytics, the thing about, the problem with analytics, I think, is that, like, it, it gives, 
the decisions are based on a definite, right, a definite number, and you get kind of seduced into this number that is, you know, what, you know, like, this has to be it. But again, humans are human. <laughs> humans are human, and they could do again a lot better or a lot worse, and you know, be judged based on this number when, in fact, a lot of it is, most of it, it all of it is their performance and how they are. You know their you know their their performance and how they you know go about doing their thing, but you know it's it, 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 there's definitely a fine line. But it's interesting. It's an interesting topic to talk about. Yeah, and to me, like I feel like the analytics really is kind of the the role of the GM to you know pick the right players that produce the right amount of output without spending sure, sure. too much. And I feel like there's too much honus based on like what I hear on the media, like for these coaches to adopt analytics but it's like okay if I got these players here I'm going to create a game plan that I think that's going to help us win and if that's opposite of you know shooting threes and and you you know everything the analytics life they they're they're GMs aren't having that so I mean it's it's kind of it's kind of unfair but you also can't fault it because the Grizzlies aren't playing well with that at this moment. And I mean, if really... race was a factor, then that's disgusting, right? That's, you know, that's, but, but the thing about the Grizzlies real. is they've had, I mean, ever since Lionel Hollins, I mean, they've had three coaches since like they've had Lionel Hollins and then the other guy can't think of his name right now. And then now they have, they had, they fired Fisdale all three coaches pretty much did the same exact thing with that squad. I mean, um, Lionel Hollins took them to the Western Conference Finals, like one beat the Spurs in the first round, and then the second coach took them, like made it again to the Western Conference Finals, and then now Fisdale. No, it was a white guy. Um, the, The Kings coach, right? I can't blank it on his name right now. But, I mean, like, the Something Grizzlies, like it's it's like the Grizzlies are only going to be so good. They only have, you know, they only have the so-and-so players. They have Mike Conley, who's very good, but never been an all-star in the loaded West. Mark Gasol, who's kind of slightly declined. Um, they and And that's really all they have. So, I mean, to put that on a young coach and just to fire him like that, I get why they did it because the, the headbutting between him and Gasol front office usually always sides with the player, uh, with the star player exactly. Um, so it's going to be tough. I wonder who they're going to hire. It's funny uh, that J.B. Bickerstaff is in a, once again in an interim head coaching role. I'm not sure if you remember when he was our interim head coach when we fired Mike Brown. Uh, well, shout out to him. <laughs> Before Dan Tony. Damn, but, man, forget this. Let's get to football. I want to hear Ammons go, go in on McAdoo. All right, man. It's time to go on my rant, man. I need everybody to stay quiet, man. Oh, Hold on, man. I need to go on my rant, man. First of all, I want to say screw the entire uh, Giants front office, screw, Wait, screw the front office, the owner, 
I'm so irritated. I can't believe they did Eli Manning this way. <laughs> I get it that he's been terrible, but this year was not his fault. He's had injuries among wide receivers. The linemen are terrible. He's had no running game, and the defense gave up. And instead, they want to replace this man and bench him with Geno Smith. Are you serious? And this dude, Ben McAdoo, <laughs> who was unqualified from the get-go. Let me tell you something. I don't want no one to say nothing because this is the truth. Ben McAdoo and Joe Philbin, who used to coach the Miami Dolphins, are both unqualified coaches who benefited off the Aaron Rodgers stimulus package. These two guys got hit coaching jobs because they were uh, at, at the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers basically gave them those jobs and they never deserved it. And this is shown they're now two for two that, oh, no, I should say two for two, oh for two, that these coaches never deserve these jobs. And this should be a warning amongst the NFL that you have to really judge these assistant coaches when they're around all-time great quarterbacks, whether it's Brady or, or uh, Rogers or whoever comes in, 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 the, in the future. I know Carson Wentz has Doug Peterson, so that's a whole different situation. But it's just so ridiculous that the Giants have come to this point. All these years when they could have drafted a, a, a great running back, they could have uh, drafted higher to go get Fournette, or Ezekiel Elliott the year before, or whoever. I mean, probably they wouldn't be able to get Z. But my whole point is they could have been, like, got away from this situation. They should have been drafted a quarterback that they could have sat for years, a couple of years, and then brung him up next year. But now they just ruined the whole entire season. Well, they've been ruined the whole entire season. And it's just ridiculous. Like, Ben McAdoo, I, I just can't believe this dude. This dude is really <laughs> the head coach of the Giants. Like, he's really taking these uh, 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 press conferences, and this dude does not look like anything of what a head coach should be. It's just blasphemous, and it's really sad that even Giants fans have to deal with this nonsense. I can't wait for him to be fired. I want Eli Manning to leave or get cut wherever, take a buyout. I want him to go to Jacksonville. That should be the best place for him to go. I think he has two years left in him, and I think he could do something with Jacksonville because Tom Coughlin is there. And they got wide receivers. They need another tight end. They got running backs, and they got an awesome young defense. And, yeah, that's my rant on, on basically that. That is just ridiculous. Like, it's really ridiculous that these assistant coaches get hired, and these guys really didn't deserve it. They are benefiting off the Aaron Rodgers stimulus package. These dudes have had food on their table because of a quarterback, an all-time quarterback, that basically masked and hid all their weaknesses as uh, assistant coaches. It's just ridiculous, dude. It's really ridiculous. And and I'm not going to go in on Nick Wright. But still, like, he even looked like he didn't really care. You know, he said that he did care. It's like, no, dude, you really don't care, dude. And I, that's why I completely agree with Chris uh, Carter. Like, he doesn't know what it feels like for you to be replaced by someone that's nowhere close to me better than you. Are you serious? Geno Smith? Geno Smith, the only good thing about Geno Smith coming in is that that's beyond the guarantee that, that uh, the Raiders are going to win. 
Like, the Raiders really don't have to have any of their wide receivers, their star wide receivers, and they'll still win because Geno Smith is going to throw at least two interceptions this Sunday, probably fumble once <laughs> or twice. And the Raiders, well, the Raiders' defense is going to look like a damn top ten defense this Sunday because of how terrible and trash mm-hmm. Geno Smith is. Like, dude, That's if you accurate. really want the, the tank, why don't you just tank with the, the rookie uh, quarterback? Like, come on, dude. You're going to put in Geno Smith. Like, are you serious, dude? Oh, God, dude. You're telling me that you didn't have the balls to fire Ben McAdoo. You want to wait until the uh, the end of the season to let him go, possibly. But you're not going to wait till the end of the season to just let Eli Manning, uh, like, completely get cut. You're, gonna, you're basically cutting him already. Like, you basically just said, this is the end of the road for you. And this is ridiculous, dude. Like, it's just really offensive. It's like – I, I get it. This is the NFL, and, you know, this is sports. This is what happens. But even Dwayne Wade uh, tweeted earlier, I think it was today or yesterday, about how there's no loyalty in sports, and he was referring to the Eli Manning situation. And this is another reason why players are using their mobility, their opportunity to go other places when they have the chance to. Because the moment you show any signs of, uh, like, a flaw or – Anytime you can be used as a scapegoat, they will do it. These owners and these coaches will use you as a scapegoat. So you should be able to do the same thing to them, man. It's it's just really sad, man. It's really sad. And I hope Eli Manning gets his revenge on them. Uh, and he has, like, at least two more years where he could be kind of consistent uh, with the Jacksonville Jaguars. That's why I think he should go. Jaguars would be interesting. He is about to be 37 years old, though. I know, but with with the Jaguars, they can – look, the Jaguars are about to make the playoffs with Blake Bortles, for Christ's sake. If you could make it with Blake Bortles, you could definitely make it with Eli Manning. I'm I'm basing it on the talent that they have on offense and defense. Yeah, they they do got a team around them. Man, the Giants, man, like, I'm I'm trying to come up with a scenario as to why they would do that. The only thing I can come up with is maybe they want to see who um, deserves a contract next year. Um, I'm not sure what kind of if, – if Geno's locked in for next year, I'm not sure if they want to try to build him up, maybe make him play well to trade him. Um, I'm not really sure what they're doing there. I don't see why they would have cut him, cut Eli early. I would have, or benched him early. I would have at least shown him respect. But there's also that report that apparently they asked him, do you want to continue to play? And he said, no, no need. What was that all about? Did they really, do you think they really asked him, oh, do you want to play for the streak? Do you really think they came in and approached him like that? Evans? Man, I don't, I don't necessarily believe all that, dude. Like, come on, dude. They, dude, they, they already had contemplated about benching him like a couple of weeks ago, and like Colin Cowherd said, they basically quote unquote leaked it out in the media that they're looking for their next uh, quarterback through the through the uh, draft or wherever. So it's like y'all basically were planning to do, like do this. So now y'all trying to make it seem like oh y'all had such a tough time making this decision. Like, no, you wanted to make this decision. And Tom Coughlin's pissed. All the former Giant players are pissed. 
Uh, a lot of the fans are pissed because this was like it just came out of nowhere, dude. Like really out of nowhere. He doesn't deserve this. Like it'd be one thing if they had all their other players and he was playing this bad, but it's like, come on, dude. Like, are you really serious? Like, he really has no help. Like, I, it's just ridiculous, dude. But I mean, it's even really before, even I, I don't believe that the, story. Yeah, even oh, before the Beckham got hurt and everybody got hurt, though, it's not like Eli was playing decent. I mean, they were still struggling. I mean, before the season, I did say this, this is probably Eli's last year. If he doesn't play well and they don't make the playoffs, I think they should draft a quarterback in the off season. So I mean, I think this is just kind of them going in that direction. They should have been drafted. I mean, look, you're right on that part, but they should have been drafted a quarterback. And like I said, this is Ben McAdoo's fault. Last year, uh, like the last whatever five games or something like that, they didn't even score over twenty points. Like they didn't even hit the twenty points. It's because of his play calling. Like his play calling is not that good. And like I said, this this is why my bigger picture is that his play calling only looks good in in first place because he had Odell Beckham last year, and obviously he's like basically the heart of that offense. And prior to that. He even got to that job because he was at Green Bay. And, like, dude, obviously I know I've criticized Rodgers or whatever. I'm not even trying to, like, get on that. But my whole point is to say, like, when you have a quarterback that great, you can almost call, like, any play you want, and he's going to make it work. So now he gets to New York, and it's like, okay, you have Eli Manning, who's inconsistent, we all know. But you have Odell Beckham. So even some of the dumb plays they called last year, like, Odell was able to make it work. So it's like now you don't have him. You have Eli, who's uh, like you were saying, what is he, thirty-seven years old or whatever? And mm-hmm. like he, He'll be he hasn't had a in good old. Okay, so he's thirty-six. He has to have a good old yeah. line in at least four years, dude. At least four years. Like you waited to now to draft a tight end, which they finally have. Uh, it's like, dude, like, all this is just bad management, in my opinion. Like, I really think it's bad management, but because Eli hasn't played any better, it's like, oh, okay, we could just use him as a scapegoat. That's all this is. It's just ridiculous. Like, you should have got rid of uh, Ben McAdoo. When, when there was rumors that he was supposed to get fired, they should have let him go, let the other coach coach, and let Eli Manny uh, finish the rest of the season unless he gets injured. And just call it a day. I get the tanking part. Look, if they if they um, keep losing like the way they are right now, they have the number two pick, and uh, if if they can convince, well, I, this is a whole bigger story. We'll have to talk about this another day. If they could convince <laughs> uh, beyond the scenes Josh Rosen to make sure he denies uh, the Browns. Then he comes on to the Giants, and we're having a different score, uh, story next year. But, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that another time. But they'll be number two, so they'll be in the running for a good quarterback. Because, honestly, with the Browns situation, like, the Browns don't need another quarterback. They need a, they need to build an O-line, a D-line, then go get a quarterback. Like, they're so bad at this point that it doesn't matter what quarterback they draft. Like, they will just be god-awful terrible. But, yeah, dude, like, the Giants, they just need to, like, wipe clean the whole entire front office. Like, the whole entire front office, dude. It just really pisses me off. 
Yeah, it, it's bad. So you think uh, Rosen, kind of side note, you think Rosen will get drafted before Donald? Donald? Okay. Yeah. Damn it. See, this is my thing. I don't even think that Donald's going to even go into the draft. I think he's going to realize, like, all right, I need another year. Like, I'm not polished as I should be. And the wide receivers that I have did not start coming alive until the end of the season. So if I have one more season to work with these guys, it's going to make me look – well, not even look. I, I will be that much better as a quarterback, and I'll be more polished going to the draft next year. I don't think he's going to the uh, draft this year. That's just my opinion, though. But even if he did, Rosen should be number one. Rosen was uh, – he was projected to be number one since he basically stepped foot into college football. He's the most polished out of all the quarterbacks this year. And he would be the most ready in terms of if you just had to start him on day one. Now, obviously, depending on where you start him, that will obviously make a big deal whether he flourishes his rookie season. But, okay, let's just say that you start him on the Giants. I mean, you'll have Odell Beckham back. You'll have Shepard back. Uh, You got Ingram. You need to get an O-line. That's that's where the issue lies. And because he's not that mobile – you're you still gonna have trouble if he's on a team like the Giants, but he would do better with them obviously than the goddamn Browns. So yeah, like Rosen should go number one. Uh, for his sake, he should go to a team like the Giants. I forgot who's third. I think it's San Francisco, but they're basically gonna be moving on with Jimmy Garoppolo. I think so. That probably won't come into play. Uh, but, yeah, Giants probably would be the best place in terms of, like, the worst teams in the NFL right now. That would probably be best for him because you'll have a lot of weapons yeah, to work I'm, with. I'm definitely rooting for Rosen to go to the Giants. I think that that's the best case scenario for him, and uh, that, would, that would be exciting. With Odell and Shepard, man, but that front office needs to get it together. Hopefully they fire McAdoo swiftly this offseason. He's got to go. And then bring on someone. I wonder who they would bring on, though. We'll see. They both guys. I got to. Oh, continue. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say the the problem is they already hired someone who does offense in Ben McAdoo. And you see, see it goes like, okay, we have a defensive head coach who doesn't really know how to coach uh, a quarterback. So we have to fire this dude and go get offensive coordinator, turn, into, turn him into a head coach. But in this situation, I don't know what you do because you already had this guy who's already offensive, uh, who was an offensive coordinator. So I don't know if you just go for another one. And see, another problem is with this offseason, everyone who needs a coach is going to be trying to look for the next Sean McVay. They're going to be trying to look for some dude who's young, who is very bright, and will change their team like he just did with the Rams. And that's just not going to simply happen. Like This is not going to be that good of a year for like coaching hires, in my opinion. It just doesn't look that good. I mean, yeah, Josh McDaniels is a candidate, but why would you really leave when Tom Brady's still there? I mean, there's a really good chance that he could be the head coach of the Patriots once Tom Brady's uh, done or Belichick is done. So, like, why would you leave that situation? 
So then you look at all these. Well, other I'm sorry. You said who? You said who will be? You said who will be the next head coach of the Patriots? Josh McDaniels. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's 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 going to be on the list for next head coaches around the NFL. But it's like there's no point of leaving when Brady is, has what like let's just say three years left or something like that. They'll most likely just keep him mm-hmm. there and just make him the the next head coach after that era is done. So it's just like I wouldn't leave if I was him. And I'm trying to think of other coaches, Jim Harbaugh is not going to leave. From what I've heard. They're trying to write up some type of lifetime contract to keep him there as Michigan. That way, if he tries to leave, he would have to have like he would have to pay a lot of money like via buyout to to leave or something like that. So yeah, I don't know where like a lot of these college coaches are gonna stay in college. So yeah, I, maybe John Gruden that that would be a possibility, but I I, I wouldn't leave if I was him either. Like, you're getting paid all this money at ESPN, and you have to worry about, man, I'm going to get fired in a year if I don't take this team to the second round of the playoffs or wherever. Like, yeah. so, yeah, I, I think John I Gruden, if I, man, if I was John Gruden, I would just I would just stick to whatever I'm doing, man. Monday Night Football is good with me. Like, yeah, you don't have I, to deal I, with I the stress of traveling, like, late-night game planning. I mean, obviously, you got to plan for the games, and you got to know what you're you, – there's a lot of preparation that goes into Monday Night Football, but the stress of, oh, me getting fired, me dealing with this, me answering to ownership, GMs. Like, if I was John Gruden, I would, I would stay put unless uh, a wonderful opportunity happened in the right place. Um, to win championships. Other than that, I think he'll he'll stay put. I'm not even sure if he's come out publicly stating that he's willing to go back into coaching. Has he? Mm, no, but like been a bunch of I guess like talk behind the scenes that he may consider it. Like depending on who it is. Like I heard that if the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were to get rid of their coach, that he would consider coming back to Tampa Bay because he already, like, knows the owners and stuff. And he he probably thinks in his mind he could be the one to fix Jameis Winston. But that's a long shot. Like, that's a really a long shot. Um, the Giants might be one, but, I mean, they're going to lose Eli, so I don't know. But like like you said, I wouldn't leave if I was him. I would just stay put and just uh, keep making money, not being stressed out, and, yeah, just doing the John Gruden camp thing that he does on ESPN. Man, that's crazy. Yeah. Sean McVay is only 31 years old, dude. That's unbelievable. Yeah, dude. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I never saw it coming, dude. I. Dude, I wanted so bad for Kyle Shanahan to be the head coach. And then when they had picked Sean McVay, I really didn't know nothing about him. But when they said that he was calling plays for Kirk Cousins, I'm like, well, I still don't know because I thought that was Jay Gruden. Like, Jay Gruden was the offensive coordinator for Dalton. And then I think he kind of was calling plays for Kirk Cousins. And then Sean McVay uh, got in. But, yeah, dude, like, he's like the new boy wonder. So it's like, everybody's going to be trying to look for the next Sean McVay, and that's going to be hard to do because that's almost like one of a kind at this point. 
He's 31 years old, dude. Like, that's yeah, that's he's young. I mean, he's he's got players on his team probably older than him. I mean, for sure. Yeah, 31 is is young. Yeah, man, that's crazy. Like, <laughs> yeah, and the thing is, if the Rams, oh, it looks like obviously the Rams, it looks like the Rams are going to make the playoffs. But if he's able to like do what he's doing right now for the like, dude, he's thirty-one years old. Like he could really do this for like two decades. Like I mean, that sounds insane, <laughs> but you never know. Like he could do that, dude. I mean, Bill Belichick, sixty-five, man. I mean, he could play literally. He could coach literally twice his life, right? Like he's thirty-one. He could coach yeah. another thirty-one years till he's sixty-two. Like that's crazy. Imagine, imagine he coaches the Rams for thirty years, hell, twenty years, and he wins like three Super Bowls. I mean, he's a let like he's yeah. already. That's crazy. It's kind of like ah, never mind. I'm not gonna say that. <laughs> I was about to say it was kind of like what we hoped for Luke Walton when we hired him, but we'll see. Yeah, I don't know about that one. Like, I, I see what you mean, though. Yeah, I don't know if that's like, going to happen, it's though. Like, it's kind of it's like the Lake, what the Lakers were rooting for, but, I mean, we're not even in the playoffs, so it's not even fair to, yeah. to no, compare I, I this, this to. And, and this is where I do give uh, NBA credit over uh, the NFL, where, okay, obviously in the NBA, they do fire coaches, like, out of nowhere, but, like, the 76ers situation, they knew, like, this team is beyond trash. We're not going to fire Brett Brown. We'll just keep on tanking, and we'll finally get some players and then judge him by that. And he's going to be there for – he's going to be there for a while now because he, now he's got some players to work with. So they'll be in the playoffs, and then the pressure will be on once uh, – well, I'll, well, whenever LeBron – falls apart if he ever does but then there'll be like some type of pressure because it'll be like all right 76ers versus the Celtics for the east now you got pressure on you but that's where I give them credit and I feel like the Lakers are going to do the same thing whereas in the NFL that's impossible like you really have like a max three years if that like you could get fired in like a year and a half like you know what I'm saying yeah no yeah you can't that's what I'm saying. I do wonder how long the Lakers will give Luke Walton. I think with this young squad, I mean, you can't fire. I think Luke Walton's job is safe, definitely, in, until they get, you know, veterans and some stars around them. But, I mean, before tonight, I was a little suspect of that lineup. Uh, I'm, I'm not really sure what was going on with the lineups over the last few weeks. I'm still confused as to why Ingram and Kuzma played 20 and 22 minutes uh, the other night. But Ingram played 44 tonight, and he balled. So, we'll see. But this schedule, I mean, that schedule that you sent us looks very brutal. Looks very brutal. I mean, how many games games is in that schedule that you sent? Let's see. Let me look at that. Yeah, I – it looked it looked just man. That's like okay, one, two, three, six, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. That was like twelve games, man. And that wait, 
1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 games. 13? I'm look that 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 picture you sent us. I'm looking at Bro, maybe that's, that's nothing but L, maybe dog. three or four Houston? wins. Yeah, like yeah. He, yeah. He, all Houston games are L's. That Philadelphia.